Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley, and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 528. Our noted guest today is Dr. Edward Cohn, professor of history at Grinnell College, who will be talking to us about his book, The High Title of a Communist, Post-War Party Discipline and the Values of the Soviet Regime. The history buffs joining us are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. Brett, you get to start us off. Gladly. So during the broadcast portion, you talked about um, the importance for a lot of people of emphasizing their service uh, during World War II uh, as a way to kind of gain clout within the party. Was there any um, criticism of those who stayed at home and weren't actively uh, on the front? There was. I think the biggest part of it would be a big chunk of the Soviet Union was actually occupied by the Nazis in the war. You know, most of Ukraine, most of Belarus, most of the Baltics, the Nazis controlled it from like 39 into, depending on where you are, 42, 43, 44. And in principle, all the communists were supposed to leave to go back behind the front lines and help with the war effort if they were living there or they could be in the army. A lot of people couldn't. You know, a lot of people, you know, the train line got messed up and they couldn't get out of town or something. I mean, that's just one random example. But it became really controversial if you had stayed and lived on German-occupied territory. That became kind of an unofficial black mark against you where a lot of people are thrown out of the Communist Party because they had been on German-occupied territory and couldn't prove beyond any doubt that they had been fighting against the Nazis. So I think that's one way in which, you know, this wasn't like before the war where you get arrested for this in most cases. But again, if you'd lived on German-occupied land, unless you could prove, which was often difficult, that you fought against the Nazis there as a partisan or a member of a resistance, you couldn't be in the party after the war. Okay. Rick. Well, uh, well, that's harsh. Yes, brutally <laughs> uh, harsh. Are occupied, you know, hey, um, lost your country and your government and your ideology. Ed, uh, you, you mentioned that the regime, uh, starting with Stalin, and uh, I don't remember Khrushchev being particularly... Uh, repressive, but you said that in those, these 19 years, the party interaction with with uh, those who call them communists became more repressive and intrusive. Oh, what In what way did they become more uh, repressive and intrusive, and, and why? Overall, I'd actually say they became less repressive. They're less oh, likely okay. to arrest you. They're less likely to say, hey, you're a Trotskyist, you're out of the party, but more likely to say you're drinking too much, you're not paying enough attention oh, okay. to your family, you're doing stuff like that. And I think part of the reason is that the war unified them in a lot of ways, and there isn't really much ideological debate in the party after the purges in the war, so they don't need to crack down politically. In most cases, there's some exceptions where they did. On the other hand, they're really concerned about the economy being restored after the war when a lot of the country was devastated. So if you're drunk and can't do your job, that's a problem. 
And the population, like demographically, the country suffered a lot during the war. So I think they really want to get the birth rate stronger, as well as the fact that in the years after the war, there's a lot of disruption in the family. You know, someone will go off, join the war, and then decide not to return to his wife. Or, you know, they'll just get separated and various stuff will happen. So I think the party really starts to worry that it needs sort of a stronger nuclear family. And that becomes more important. How would this kind of um, national, nationally driven ideology, how did it impact the gulag? Because as you're saying, uh, after World War II, uh, stability in Russian communities because of the, the, the plights of war or the Germans massacring when they invaded um, had a huge impact. And yet you saw massive numbers, again, of, of people being sent to the prisons, the work camps. So how did this, uh, how did this impact that part of Russian society? I mean, when Khrushchev comes in, if I recall, uh, the gulag still continues. Absolutely, it continues for, for decades. And I'll add one clarification. I think the party becomes less repressive and more intrusive toward its own members. Okay. There are other groups not in the party it's still really repressive toward. Okay. So that the gulag, you know, gets a lot of people who in the early 40s, you know, are, you know, the Soviets would call it committing labor discipline violations. They're not showing up to work. They're stealing stuff from, from the collective farm or the factory where they work because economic conditions are bad. So things like theft and economic crime leads to a lot of people being sent to the gulag. And in something that's relevant to today, there's a lot, there are a lot of areas along the western borderland of the country that had not been Soviet before 1939. The Baltic republics of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and parts of Ukraine weren't part of the Soviet Union until very recently at this point. And so there's opposition there. And there are nationalists who don't come into my book that much because they're not in the Communist Party, but they get repressed and sent to the gulag. So you get a lot of nationalist opposition members there. You get a lot of people who commit economic crimes. That grows under Stalin quite a bit. Khrushchev lessens that. You know, he tries to reform the gulag some, but it's still there and it's still, you know, a humanitarian disaster. Okay. Rick? I was uh, thinking about the um, intrusiveness. Um, uh, actually, I was thinking about how did, as the economy got bad as it was moving forward, uh, were people leaving the party or or giving mal uh, lip service to the the values of the Soviet re regime? I mean, there's a, in general in society you get lots of people who are disillusioned by it. In the Communist Party, I'm not, you people, people don't really leave it that often. Again, because they have all these material incentives to stay in the party. Okay. Um, and not to, not to rock the boat too much. They're not necessarily enthusiastic. And you know, again, Khrushchev wanted to make the, regime, make the party more of an ideological force to change society. That doesn't work, and they don't care as much about that afterward. But there are some people who are in the party because they really believe in it, and some of them would be discouraged to have people around them who just aren't as enthusiastic about it all. Well, I'm looking at a parallel now in uh, 
know, uh, during the uh, Putin era, that there seems to be enough uh, disenchantment coming from the youth that leaks out of Russia. And that's that's why I ask it. So this is something that's always been there, even uh, the Soviet period uh, as well as the Russian period. I mean, I think to some degree, youth is where you'll always get more opposition. I'm working on a book now about the KGB and the way it tried to, make a long story short, fight crime without arresting as many people. And youth are the big target there. Since if you think of where you expect there to be opposition to a authoritarian regime, the two most likely places are intellectuals and students, whether it's university students or high school students. Brett. When you talk about um, there not being many people, m- much disunity within the party after the war, you, you mentioned partially because the war was unifying, but also you mentioned there's a lot of purges that happened during the war. So how percentage-wise, how do you credit the relative peace within the party? Was it more that everybody was tired of fighting or was it more that anyone worth getting rid of had already been gotten rid of? I mean, to some degree, it's that latter part. I do think a lot of the people purged weren't real enemies anyway, most of them. Um, I do think if you look at the membership of the Communist Party, it skyrockets during World War II and afterward, just because new people are joining. And so I think that's the biggest part, just that they get a whole new class of people who weren't involved in politics in the 30s, often because they were too young, and so that stuff just doesn't mean much to them anymore. Okay. Um, Rick? Yeah, I have just a curious... I'm curious, Ed, what motivated you to write this this book? Yeah, I mean, in part... I was interested in this question of just what the regime's values were and what it meant to be a good communist. And what I look at is hearing is where someone's accused of some sort of misconduct. And it's kind of a window into just what it meant to be a good communist, what it meant to be a bad communist, um, you know, what that says about political identity, what that says about the social history of the country at the time. So it was some of those questions that initially drew me in. Okay. We would like to thank our noted guests for the 528th show, Dr. Edward Cohn, professor of history at Grinnell College, who talked to us about his book, The High Title of a Communist, Post-War Party Discipline and the Values of the Soviet Republic. The history bus for today's show were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.